Hey everyone, great news. If you came to our live recording of New Moon, congrats on being special. You're the only one who gets to hear it. Sadly, the venue software crashed and lost the audio. We assumed they were sabotaged by Stephanie Meyer. All right, on to the episode. At karaoke, we all have that friend with a bad voice who thinks they can belt Mariah Carey, so I appreciate Stephanie Meyer's pure guts in trying to improve on Shakespeare. This Twilight book is based on Romeo and Juliet, though here the tragedy is they both live. Today's roast is New Moon by Delusion. (laughs) I'm Kellen Erskine. I'm a comic, a father, and it's fun to have a book like this to let me know that I've grown as a person, because when I was 22, not only was I honestly excited to read this, but when it was over, I was disappointed I had to wait another year for Eclipse. (laughs) And I'm David Vance. Just like Edward, I too try to be a protective boyfriend by hiding far away while she's repeatedly attacked. New Moon was secretly written by a sexist man to prove women are dull, weak, and utterly dependent on men. The series sold 120 million copies. And this is The Book Pile. Here's a review we got from Runner805 who says, Pros, this is a great podcast that makes me laugh. Cons, Kellen Erskine displays a clear bias against whales. (laughs) I'm not, not sure what this is referring to. I thought I kept this a secret. (laughs) (laughs) He had some old whale tweets surface. (laughs) You have to do uh, one of those notes app apologies. (laughs) Finally, our next two books are The Big Picture, about how Hollywood keeps shamelessly remaking the same movies, and Dune. (laughs) Again, super disappointing that the audio of the live show for this episode was lost. But we do have some backup audio from that night. It's not great quality. It was caught on an offstage mic. But if you'd like to experience a few of the magic moments that happened that night, and you've got a quiet room and some great headphones, stick around and we'll include that audio at the end of this episode. All right, without further ado, here are five lessons that we took from the Twilight Saga, New Moon. Or as I call it, Bella's Furry Rebound. (laughs) All right. Lesson one, your boyfriend isn't your only reason to live. This is what I used to tell girls that I was hitting on. No, this... (laughs) About 40 pages into New Moon... Edward breaks up with Bella, and reflecting on it later, Bella says, My story was over. (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, boy, I sure wish it was. Yeah. I know this is a made-up story, it's dramatic, but it's never played off as, hey, isn't it crazy that this is how teenagers think? Instead, we're just actually supposed to believe that this vampire-human relationship was the most powerful love that's ever existed. Listen to Bella's dad, Charlie, as he explains to Alice, Bella's vampire friend, how Bella reacted when Edward left her. And keep in mind that Bella and Edward basically had a summer fling. They were together for like two months. He says, that first week, I thought I was going to have to hospitalize her. <laughs> she wouldn't eat or drink. She wouldn't move. Dr. Gerandi was throwing around words like catatonic. <laughs> I thought that it would help if she moved back in with her mother, but when I started packing her things, she started screaming, throwing her clothes everywhere. Then she started crying, but she was empty. Her eyes were blank. And it's like, did she fight in Desert Storm? <laughs> 
It's like Edward lives in a simulation, and when he leaves the room, Bella stops existing. (laughs) We mentioned at the show, she's so empty of personality after he leaves that it's like someone put down a puppet. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, such a great way to describe it, that she, like, she becomes so helpless that... There are actually like interesting, exciting things that happen in this book, and we only know about them because Bella hears about them offhand. (laughs) Or was there and fell down. (laughs) Like, during 90% of this book, there is this subplot that Jacob tells us about every once in a while, while he and his werewolf buddies every night are like guarding this perimeter around the town where this crazy evil vampire is looking for a way in to come and murder Bella. So he'll come back and like tell her these stories about how they've been chasing her around. And Bella's just like, oh man, that sucks. Yesterday I, uh, I just slept. it's almost like you know those challenges where like dr seuss wrote green eggs and ham because his buddy bet him he couldn't write a book using only 50 words (laughs) it's almost like someone asked stephanie okay can you write a book but only the men can make decisions (laughs) and she's like boy can i (laughs) i do like greenbacks and residuals (laughs) could you make choice when you slip could you make choice off a cliff (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna rhyme it dr seuss style which is when you can't think of a word to rhyme you just make one up without even trying (laughs) so it's could you be said on a blair wolf could you be said with a werewolf So even some of this passiveness actually applies to Edward, because at the end of the book, he says that after they broke up at the beginning, he pretty much crumpled into a ball and did nothing for a while. Uh, And then he flew to Italy on purpose so that the evil vampires would murder him. And it's like, heaven forbid that either of these two ever have to deal with something that's actually difficult. (laughs) I want to see either of them file their taxes. Because, <laughs> like, I know it sucks to break up with your high school crush, but try supporting a family of five and suddenly losing your job because of a pandemic. I'm not throwing a pity party, but that happened to me. And it was a depressing, dark time. But I didn't go to Europe to provoke the Volturi. <laughs> He didn't stop liking music. <laughs> I was I was supported by a loving family, and then I created a podcast about books. But the, the music thing is crazy, too, because, like, that's just, it's not even something that ever happens. I know that when I've been sad, like, there are certain songs that I can't listen to anymore because I associate them with a negative memory. But the just the entire thing of music is just like, uh, I'm so sad. I don't, I don't use chairs anymore <laughs> because I got dumped by a chairman. <laughs> <laughs> cool. 
that that joke killed at the live show by the way <laughs> speaking of the live show i loved that mom who brought one of her kids who loves twilight <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine going to see bullfighting and you bring your kid who just loves bulls <laughs> <laughs> All right, here, here's my, this is my theory of what happens when a bullfighter dies and goes to hell. He's walking around in just these fiery caverns, but then he sees this delicious pizza just sort of floating in the air. <laughs> <laughs> and then when he runs toward it, it's whipped away and a bull stabs him in the chest. <laughs> So my takeaway here is, I promise you that you'll get over your high school boyfriend or girlfriend and life goes on. In real life, Robert Pattinson broke up with Kristen Stewart, and now he's Batman. So (laughs) things work out. Also, when he says he crumpled without her, we have no proof he wasn't at the club. (laughs) Yeah, later later on when they're together and Bella is retelling the story to their friend, she's like, and he he crumpled in a ball. Isn't that adorable? <laughs> and he's like, no, no, no. No, I was crumping. <laughs> <laughs> All right, lesson two. Have a weak protagonist. So I want to hit a couple details that really just characterize Bella in this book. So she tells Edward, the person who loves her most in the world, I'm not that interesting. And instead of pushing back, he says, moot point. (laughs) She goes to a horror movie and most identifies with the zombie. Her new big personality trait in this book is that she doesn't like music. (laughs) And (laughs) at one point she talks about her numbness and says, between pain and nothing, I had chosen nothing. And what's funny is that for me, this book is both pain and nothing. (laughs) And then Bella has these takes on gender roles. So she says, I tried to catch up with the conversation. Mike and Connor were talking sports, so I gave up on that one at once. (laughs) And then these other boys are talking cars, and she says, many of the words were unfamiliar, and I figured I'd have to have a Y chromosome to really understand the excitement. (laughs) (laughs) And then she leaves by telling them she has to go home and cook dinner for her dad. (laughs) All right, so Kellen, I have a question for you. Mm. Can you think of one problem in book one or two that Bella got herself out of? <laughs> uh, she got herself out of having to stay at a birthday party by making everyone want to eat her. <laughs> it works. I've tried it. So for those of you who haven't read it or seen the movie, the insane thing is what happens is Bella at the Cullen's house. So everyone else is a vampire. She gets a paper cut while she's opening a present because she can't even do that right, as Edward says. (laughs) And the moment that a drop of blood appears, it's just chaos. People like the more disciplined vampires are holding back the wilder ones. And while that's happening, Edward throws Bella out of the frying pan and into the fire because he shoves her aside and she like hits a wall and cuts herself way more. (laughs) (laughs) I can only assume in a clip she goes to a party with vampires, falls on a glass table and nicks her femoral artery. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> he didn't help at all. This guy, he's supposedly like Neo in the Matrix, but he just does the mm-hmm. like has the worst reaction. <laughs> like it's okay, I'll shove you into some sharp things. At least you'll be five feet farther away from all of us monsters. <laughs> So I could not think of anything she saved herself from. I could think of a list of problems she was saved from by a man. Mm-hmm. So car crash, assault, hunted by James, by Jasper, by Laurent, by Victoria, saved from drowning. So deus ex machina is Latin for God from machine. What's the Latin for many gods from a clown car? <laughs> Her character is perfectly encapsulated by this quote. I had lived through a lot in the past few days, but it didn't make me strong. Instead, I felt horribly fragile. (laughs) I also love that some of the girls at her school hate her because she's just genuinely not interesting enough to hate. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Lesson three. Deal with stuff in an unhealthy way. (laughs) And then eventually it'll just correct itself. So, Dave, uh, what's the point of this book? I think it's like any YA book where it takes something in our life and then it makes it wish fulfillment. So we talk about like Harry Potter's like, yeah, I know you seem ordinary, but you're actually this rich, famous athlete. Twilight is like, I know your boyfriend seems controlling, but he's actually a sexy vampire. (laughs) Right. So Bella is the least proactive protagonist (laughs) she's not trying to do anything there's no call to adventure she's got no goal in mind other than to escape being sad in really toxic ways so you already mentioned she stops listening to music she isolates herself she pretends to have friends to keep her dad off her back she leads on a boy just so she won't feel as lonely She learns to drive a motorcycle, and her first time driving it, she goes too fast on purpose and crashes it. She jumps off a cliff without even considering, quote, the current of the water. (laughs) And when her loving father is feeling helpless, he suggests that maybe she see a therapist and she mocks him. Like, to me, Charlie, her dad, is the protagonist of the book. He's the one who is trying to get something good accomplished. And she's just like, oh, you want me to see a shrink? I'm not nuts. She truly is the Inspector Clouseau of romantic heroines in that events happen not because of her, but despite her total uselessness and apathy. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that scene where Inspector Clouseau walks through Oktoberfest and accidentally (laughs) kills like 20 assassins. That's Bella stumbling clumsily through her high school life and making every man fall in love with her. At one point later when she's reflecting on her dad's advice to seek professional help, with her mindset of employing the stigma that therapy had in the 1950s. She says, sure, I could tell someone the (laughs) truth if I wanted to spend the rest of my life in a padded cell. And it's like, what what do you think therapy is? (laughs) Yeah, it's striking that Edward is the one born in the early 1900s, and Bella is the one who calls a therapist a shrink. (laughs) It's like, yeah, yeah. But it's like, you don't have to tell your therapist that your ex-boyfriend was a vampire. 
Like, you could just let them know that you're depressed. <laughs> With this mindset, though, I would love to go to an AA meeting and then tell everyone there that the reason why I went off the deep end is because my girlfriend, who was secretly a swamp thing, <laughs> broke up with me. <laughs> and I'd just be like, eh, this, this doesn't leave this room, right? That's how this works. So ultimately, there's no moral to this story because she just employs these temporary toxic remedies. And then she ends up with Edward in the end, so she sure learned her lesson. <laughs> All right, lesson four. Build no suspense. So if you are writing a mystery, I have some tips for you from the Twilight Saga. So I used to think the good way to do a mystery reveal is have a character make a brilliant leap of deduction that ties together like 20 clues. But now I know the right way is just have someone tell them. <laughs> <laughs> Or just have them dream it. <laughs> and I used to think a good love triangle needed two love interests who were different, but about neck and neck to build suspense. But now I know she should make her mind up immediately and never waver and just string the other guy along. <laughs> I also think in a mystery, it's a bold move to make your protagonist so much dumber than your audience. <laughs> Because everyone reading the book knows Jacob is a werewolf from, like, the beginning, way before Bella. And we have all the same clues. <laughs> so I brought up this during the live podcast, that treating the audience as if they're this, like, dumb and clueless. is It's like when the first live-action Ninja Turtles movie came out, when Raphael goes up to the city streets to blend in with people. The only disguise he has is like an overcoat and a fedora. <laughs> there's like, there's no mask or anything. He's still like a, a green head. And what is he like? <laughs> People think he's wearing like football gear under there. But everyone's just walking by like, hey there, a human being. <laughs> How are we the only ones that, that can see through this? The only possible explanation I can think of for that is that if Ninja Turtles had never come out and I saw that guy in New York City, I'd be like, ah, New York. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to know what this guy's deal is. <laughs> yeah, if anyone questioned him, he's just like, I've got elephantitis, the green kind. <laughs> <laughs> Were you as a kid super sad when you found out elephantitis didn't come with a trunk? Oh, no, that's so such a bizarre thing to be disappointed about. Oh, what? No, yeah. No one was. <laughs> I guess that's a good way to rationalize, to try and rationalize it. If you're still one of those people that has a piano with actual ivory keys, <laughs> just be like, oh, no, no, no this, that's not what you think. My, uh, my uncle, rest his soul, he donated these. <laughs> A quick aside, it's so interesting to me when I look at tusks that some animals like genuinely evolved swords. Yeah. It'd be like if a water bison lifted up its head and it just had like a crossbow there. <laughs> well, it's just, especially the fact that it's like teeth that did that, because at some point right. evolution had to be like, like uh, a tooth is inside a mouth, and it's like, you know what? I think I belong a good 11 feet outside. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like the tooth in the mouth works and the tooth 11 feet out works. What was that in-between stage like? <laughs> yeah. 
Now back to other horrifying creatures that evolved weird teeth. (laughs) Anyway, so for any writers at home, just do these things and you too can make more money than a country. (laughs) All right, lesson five. If you date someone who treats you like Edward does, get out. So before I read this book, I asked my sister Jess about it and she said, you know, it's actually better than Twilight because Edward's gone for most of it. But even... (laughs) Even in that very short time, here's a sampling of what he does. He lies to her and says he doesn't love her anymore, and then later he blames her for believing him, and he literally says, what were you thinking? So it's nice to know anytime I lie, it's the listener's fault. Like when I told them there'd be a live podcast. He says he'll protect her. He says he'll protect her, and then he makes her the target of a pack of vicious vampires, and then just moves. (laughs) He's so condescending all the time, and he talks kind of like, do you remember uh, that guy in seventh grade who would try to use big words, but he didn't quite know them yet? That's how Edward talks. So Bella's like, wow, I went to Italy. I've never been farther than Albuquerque. And he says, you should go back to sleep. You're not coherent. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, no, you don't know what coherent means. (laughs) Also, there, there are two people in my life who are so mean. That anytime they're in my dreams, they're the bad guy. Mm-hmm. So Edward sucks so bad that even when Belle is just imagining his voice, it's condescending. <laughs> so she's going to ride a motorcycle and his voice pops in and says, this is reckless and childish and idiotic, Bella. And when that scares her and she falls over, he's like, told you so. <laughs> so at one point, Edward also says, I'm a good liar, Bella. I have to be. Okay, so that part where the hundred-year-old told you you're his first. (laughs) If Edward were smart, he would make her a vampire now so he can lock this down before her brain fully develops. That's crazy because the first Twilight book, I would argue that Edward is the main reason why women loved reading that book. And so it's crazy that he is just, Edward is absent in this book the same way that Batman was in The Dark Knight Rises. (laughs) Where it's like, you're very excited to see this movie because the last one was so good. And Christopher Nolan is like, I have a better idea. How about really weak Batman at the beginning, (laughs) zero Batman in the middle, and then Batman for five minutes at the end? But really, if anything, Edward is more like Bane. (laughs) Because I could see Edward saying things like, do you feel in charge? (laughs) Or before they play their dumb vampire baseball game, he's like... Let the games begin. (laughs) (laughs) He would take, too, that line about you think the darkness is your ally and turn it from a very cool line to the lamest line imaginable. (laughs) Isn't it weird how a quote can become less cool just by an uncool person saying it? (laughs) Imagine that we will fight them on the beaches speech being given by Jeb Bush. (laughs) That's what I think is interesting about like Abraham Lincoln because we have no idea what he sounded like in that Gettysburg address. <laughs> Maybe the only reason it holds up is because we don't know that he actually sounded like Ross Perot. <laughs> it very well could have been that afterwards people are like, uh, thank goodness that was the shortest speech he's ever given. <laughs> All right, random facts. 
So one of my favorite quotes from the book, Edward says, what choice have I? I cannot be without you, yet I will not destroy your soul. And it just sounds like teens dating at Bible camp. (laughs) (laughs) So the most interesting part of this entire book, these two short sentences where Bella drops this bomb about the colons and then never references it ever again. She says... Edward had a lot of money. I didn't even want to think about how much. And then she casually just mentions that the Collins are multimillionaires because with Alice's powers of prediction, she can foresee changes in the stock market. (laughs) (laughs) So apparently Alice is a senator. (laughs) But this, this actually helps the story make more sense for me that maybe the real reason why Bella is utterly devastated is because she's actually a gold digger. (laughs) (laughs) I'd probably cry in my room for months, too, if I had been just a proposal away from winning the lottery. (laughs) (laughs) The casual way, too, that it's just mentioned that they do endless insider trading, (laughs) that they're basically robbing the other people. (laughs) It'd be like if in The Hunger Games it just mentions... I had known Gail forever, and he had the heroin money, but Peter was so sweet. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so the book does that thing you see in movies where you see the side of someone's face and it looks beautiful, but then they turn their face to you and the other half is incredibly scarred. And I want to make a movie where you see half of someone's face and it's beautiful, and then they turn to you and the other half of their face is twice as beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) But even at that moment, Stephanie Meyer wouldn't dream of having you think she wrote an ugly character. So she says, I could suddenly see the symmetry underlying her deformity. Her face was still beautiful. Oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) And that's her most compelling female character. I love Harry Potter, but J.K. Rowling is absolutely guilty of the same thing. Without reading the books, someone could identify a villain by either how ugly they are or if their last name rhymes with a bad thing. (laughs) So uh, along these same lines, like people in love stories never look like people in real life. And I get that there are vampires in this one, but I think this issue plagues the prose of just the romance genre in general. Like in real life, when a cop reports someone, they're never like, uh, suspect is 5'11", broad chest like a marble statue. <laughs> uh, honey, auburn hair, liquid topaz eyes. And what's that? Oh, his voice? Uh, velvety chocolate. Setting <laughs> <laughs> east on 9th. <laughs> So I I love that Charlie has a daughter who he knows is incredibly clumsy. And on her birthday, he's like, hey, catch. And he throws her a camera. (laughs) (laughs) You were talking about how Edward doesn't know how to use certain words. Early in the book, Bella explains to us that Edward speaks with, quote, the sophistication of someone from an earlier century. (laughs) But then later they have this exchange. And I'm going to read it like a play, but all, all of this dialogue is word for word. Edward, Mike Newton would be healthy for you to be with. Bella, I'd rather die than be with Mike Newton. Edward, I'd rather die than be with anyone but you. 
Bella, don't be melodramatic. Edward, well, then you don't be ridiculous. <laughs> it's like, sounds like a real Ralph Waldo Emerson. <laughs> Yeah, was that Langston Hughes or was that? <laughs> Remember that Walt Whitman poem where he was like, "You're dumb." No, you're dumb. <laughs> Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and I would rather die than go down the right. <laughs> so. At one point, Bella goes to the movies with her friend, Jess, who's telling Bella about these two boys that she's gone out with. And Bella says to her, tell me all about it. And then she says to the reader, I said that hoping my false eagerness would be interpreted as interest. And it's like, don't you dare act like listening to someone's story is lame when I have to sit through 500 pages of your lame relationships. (laughs) So my friend Gregory pointed out there's a museum in Washington that had to make an FAQ page to refute all the false claims Stephanie Meyer made in Twilight. It's called Truth versus Twilight. And one of the big ones is she took the Quileute creation story, which involves wolves, and she just changed it to be what she needed it to be so they could be werewolves. And then it made billions of dollars. Man. So... Imagine you're Christian or Jewish or Muslim, and someone took the Adam and Eve story and changed it, and now that's the version of the story everyone knows, and they become super rich. (laughs) Oh, you mean uh, King James? (laughs) (laughs) King James just put his own spin on everything. (laughs) How disappointing for King James when he heads this massive project to finally translate the Bible so that it's accessible to, uh, you know, the world population. And then he's like, when it's all done, he's like, hold on, no one knows how to read? (laughs) (laughs) So at one point, Jacob is making fun of Bella because she asks him if he turns into a werewolf at the full moon. And he's like, (laughs) Hollywood gets everything wrong. I turn into a werewolf when I get angry. (laughs) It's like, oh, like the Hulk? (laughs) Thanks for that fresh spin, Stephanie. I think it's funny, too, that it's the only thing that's different because... With Meyer's new random changes to vampires, where they're sparkly and they you know, play sports and stuff, like I wouldn't have been surprised if Jacob was like, uh, also, us werewolves, we're great at the French horn, and uh, <laughs> we love playing Ultimate Frisbee. All right, my last thought is, this series was so successful, and I'm just so curious how it would have done with an editor. <laughs> All right, to recap, our five favorite lessons from Twilight New Moon. One, your boyfriend isn't your only reason to live. Two, have a weak protagonist. Three, deal with stuff in an unhealthy way. Four, build no suspense. Five, if you date someone who treats you like Edward does, get out. And six, if you've ever considered writing a book but don't think you're good enough, just remember that this is a book. Cons? Kellen Erskine displays a clear bias against whales. <laughs> Do you know what that's about? Does anyone even know about that? What have I said on the podcast? It might have been that two-minute spontaneous plug you did for SeaWorld. 
where you said, I think, quote, they deserved it. <laughs> I mean, they're called killer whales. Maybe they should be locked up. They wouldn't be in there if they were innocent. <laughs> Does anyone know why this book is called New Moon? Any theories? I do. Other than Dave? Because there's no light in her life. There's no light in her life. That's a good point, other than her loving father. (laughs) Well, and also, she has Jacob in her life at that time. So, like, I read book one, and I was like, oh, Stephanie might doesn't know what a healthy relationship is. And then I read book two, and she and Jacob have, like, this great dynamic, and he makes her laugh, and he's so nice to her, and it's like, oh, Stephanie knows she chooses to be this way. (laughs) New moon. Should have something about werewolves be called full moon? There we go. Someone just said you know that book about werewolves be called full moon. It gives it away. <laughs> <laughs> it gives it away. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Alright, there we go. The audience is heckling itself. I like this. So, uh, at one point, Bella gets uh, confronted. Bella is alone in the field where uh, Edward and her first, I don't know, laid down and looked at each other. <laughs> Not a lot of touching in these books, which is fine. <laughs> so she revisits this meadow, there's a bad vampire who's there, but then the werewolves come and rescue her. So when she's telling this story, when she's recounting the story for her police officer father, she says, quote, They didn't pay any attention to me, but after they were gone, I ran away and fell down a lot. <laughs> <laughs> thing I can think of is that in the first book, Stephanie Meyer illustrates how Bella is clumsy, like that's her weakness, I guess. Uh, I think she wrote, she then wrote this entire book and was like, oh, I forgot that clumsy bit. So then she just like opened it to a random page, like, I fell down quite a bit. Send that off to the publisher. <laughs> it has nothing to do with anything. Like it doesn't come up later. You guys try it. Like in the next the next conversation you have with someone that you feel is a bit dull. <laughs> feel like I went to the post office yesterday. <laughs> As I was walking back to my car, I, I just fell down a whole bunch of times. <laughs> That's a normal thing, right? They'll be like, oh, you told me that in your last story. (laughs) I appreciate that information about you because uh, now you're relatable to me. (laughs) It's like Stephanie Meyer was trying to find quirks and things that make someone flawed without actually ever being flawed in any way. You know what I mean? Yeah. She's just trying to have a cake and eat it, too. So I, I can't remember the last time I tripped and fell, but I do remember the last time I did. It was maybe four or five years ago. I was playing with my six-year-old son. We got one of those styrofoam, those big styrofoam gliders you get from, like, a hobby shop. And I, I threw it. I turned around. It did a loop. But then as it was coming down, it was heading straight for my forehead. Now keep in mind, it, that would have been fine. Like, it's literally made of padding. It's made of the stuff that's inside helmets. 
But I, I panicked. And I, like, I just, I don't even know how I did it. Somehow, I threw myself down on the ground. It's almost like, it's almost like I threw my arms and my legs out at the same time. And just belly flopped on the grass, and I cracked a rib. I'm picturing you, I'm picturing you doing the dodge from the Matrix, but the glider is just actually moving that speed. <laughs> <laughs> there is no glider. 